0: Go ahead and open up to Ecclesiastes chapter nine. Chapter nine, we'll be looking at verse thirteen and following through the end of chapter ten. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, beginning in verse thirteen. Give everybody a minute and then we will dive into a word of prayer. Let's go to our Lord once more in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you that we have the opportunity to come and together gather around your word, which still speaks today. Father, we pray even as that last song we sang, where that your truth would be taught to us, that Lord, your ways would be made more known to us God, speak to us today. God, we also pray for our sister church in Mulberry Grove. Uh, Father, Lord, we pray for them uh, as they are currently without a pastor. So, Lord, whoever is f- are filling in the pulpit this morning, Lord, we pray, Lord, that your word would go forth there. or that the body of Christ would be built up there at Mulberry Grove. Father, Lord, we pray, Lord, for them to have wisdom and discernment as... Uh, their, their search committee, Lord, looks for, for their next pastor, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would bring them a man who would faithfully proclaim your word and shepherd the sheep in which is there, Lord, that would labor on their behalf. God, give our sister church wisdom in this. God, we also, uh, this morning, Lord, want to lift up to you churches all around the nation of Afghanistan. Lord, in in the last few days, Lord, uh, taliban has has taken over this nation but lord you had have not left that nation you have people there that are yours brothers and sisters who affirm the gospel of jesus christ so god lord as uh, a tyrant regime takes back over this nation god we pray for our brothers and sisters there lord, as they are no doubt expected to face much persecution. and Lord, the progress that had been made to give them more opportunities, Lord, will now be stripped. God, we pray that you would help our brothers and sisters to endure the faith. That they would suffer as you, Lord Jesus, suffered. That they would suffer well along the lines of the prophets who suffered before them. God, help them to stand firm trusting in you and you alone for their salvation help them to not weary or grow tired of fighting for faith lord and i pray that their lives and even in their deaths as they die for the name of christ your glory would be spread so that many more may repent from their sin and come to you god will you do this work Lord, we ask you for your name's sake, do a mighty work in the nation of Afghanistan and be with our brothers and sisters around that region so that they may hold fast to you, knowing that you have not abandoned them, that you have hold of them. And God, we want to pray for our church too this morning. Lord, we want to pray for Stefan as he is in the hospital with Uh, battling COVID, God, we pray, Lord, that you will continue to help his body to heal. We pray, Lord, that you will help his breathing to continue to improve as it already has began to do. And Lord, that you would help him to find strength and energy, as I know he mentioned being tired. God, be with him. Strengthen him. Father, be with other church members and and their families, Lord, as as COVID continues to to wreck havoc once more. Father, uh, we don't even know who may be fighting or, or will find themselves in the next week uh, with themselves or a loved one fighting this virus. So God, Lord, give us strength too in the midst of it. Help us to, to hold fast to our belief in Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that, Lord, that in the midst of sickness, that you do not abandon us. So give us hope in the midst of it so that we can stand firm, upon the gospel of jesus resting with certainty knowing that we are your children who are dearly loved god will you do these things in us this morning grounding us back in these truths and lord do it around the world father we rest in you and that is why we pray this morning because we are dependent upon you so we ask all of this in the name of christ our king Amen. Going from a sobering moment to a little lightening the mood, um, Darcy and and Betsy Grace this past week spent time uh, with Darcy's parents up in Northwoods, Wisconsin. Uh, I got to hear of the foolishness of my father-in-law this week and want to, to share a little story. He likes to play a game with, with his granddaughter. It's it's all cute, especially when it's at the table. He'll take off his wedding ring and begin spinning it, and, and she just eats it up. Well, the knucklehead decided he was going to do this on a moving pontoon boat on the table of the boat, and the ring spins off the table, as I'm told, and falls on the floor and he has to dive to save his wedding ring from going into the lake. All it takes is a moment of foolishness and forgetfulness of where we are and you find yourselves having to dive on the floor in order to save a wedding ring. I hope my mother-in-law jumped him afterwards in private for that. Uh, But a little folly can go to an extreme and lead to having to dive having to try and save something but how much worse is it when the folly of this world enters into our minds and our hearts and causes us diving for our own lives or maybe even worse our souls that's what i want us to look at this morning as we dive back into ecclesiastes chapter 9 beginning in verse 13 throughout ecclesiastes we begin and reminded of life is vanity The end is death. So how do we live with this reality in mind? How do we live in light of the cruelty and the oppression under the sun? How do we live in light of the evil that is under the sun? We begin to see more of that coming to a conclusion. We've only got uh, two more weeks after this in Ecclesiastes, and it's all about to be summed up. But this morning, Follow along with me as I begin to read this section. Ecclesiastes 9, beginning in verse 13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man, but I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. But the lips of a fool consume him the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is evil madness a fool multiplies words though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him the toil of a fool wearies him for he does not know the way to the city woe to you O land when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning Happier are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through the sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. If I've understood Ecclesiastes 9:13 through 10:20 correctly. The main point of the text and therefore what should be the main point in the sermon is this. Wisdom is elusive, yet it far outweighs folly and the destruction it brings. Therefore, let us look to the wise man Jesus and follow him. I'm going to repeat that. Wisdom is elusive. Yet, it far outweighs folly and the destruction it brings. Therefore, let us look to the wise man Jesus and follow him. We're going to look at this in two points. I'm breaking the Southern Baptist Code of three points in a sermon here, but I think it'll be okay. Point number one, wisdom is better. Point number two, living in wisdom. Point number one, wisdom is better. Point number two, living in wisdom. And wisdom so let's start back here in point number one wisdom is better Solomon starts again, as as he's done so often. Here's what I see from my eyes under the sun. Here's what I'm observing as I try to grasp what's going on around me. He says there in 9.13, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. This example that he's seen has, has made an impression. It seems like, man, this helps explain it all. This helps us grasp what's going on and how do I live. Solomon's already said that wisdom is elusive, that, that he's found one in a thousand men uh, righteous and, and who understand things. That, so wisdom has been elusive through this. He's acknowledged that even a wisdom and pursuing it is vanity because the end is the same for all. But he keeps searching for an answer. He keeps searching to try and understand, like many of us, try and make sense of what is going on in the world around us. And this example, notice how it goes. It says there in verse 14, There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. So you've got this little city. Think of, of central city here, small, surrounded by, by larger, and then you've got a major city uh, just to the west in St. Louis. So small town, and think of of a great king. Think uh, of the whole army army of Germany or the army of the Soviet Union or or China surrounding our little town with all of its weapons. Our our army doesn't exist in in this. It's a poor analogy. It doesn't fit, but hopefully it'll, it'll paint the little picture. A small town surrounded by an army with all of its weapons, with all of its resources, Towers being built up to have the high ground, being able to to snipe down whatever lays in in its way. This is what this this image and example is setting up here. Here's this little city, and this great mighty king comes and sets up against it. He's laying all these, these siege works. It's simply building towers to have that high ground so that they can shoot and throw arrows, that they can throw their darts all in and take out the city. So by all, all humanly speaking terms, it seems this little city is done for. There's nothing going to survive as this great king surrounds it with all these siege works. He's got it surrounded. Doesn't stand a chance, you think. But look what it says in the following verse. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. That's a glorious but. B u t. That's a glorious but because it changes the whole thing. You expect one thing, and the Bible throws in this but. But this happened. This is the case. A poor wise man delivered this little city against this great king and all his siege works. Yet no one remembers the poor man's name. It's long forgotten. But here's Solomon's point, and here's what he's trying to do. He lays it out going on there in verse 16 through 18. He says, But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. The point is, wisdom is better. It's better than position. It's better than weapons of war. It's better than it all. It's better than the shouting of a ruler. Wisdom is better in and through it all. So let's look briefly at this. Let's, let's take each of these uh, four things that wisdom is better than. Wisdom is better than position. Again, we've got in this story that of a great king. He has the seat of authority. He has the position of power. And then you've got the poor man. Yet, who's the victorious one? Often we think that position is what we're to seek in order to have influence. And yet, it's not the great king who has victory. It's this poor, wise man who has the victory. He's the one who delivers this little city against this great king. Wisdom is shown better than any position, any power one can have. It's far better. Proverbs twenty-one, twenty-two says, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Often power and position are trusted in more than wisdom. And yet the wise will bring it down because the strong or mighty one or the one in position holds to that position rather than being wise and thinking carefully through it. So wisdom is better than position. We also see in Proverbs 16:14: a king's wrath is a messenger of death and a wise man will appease it. So whether this wise man was able to defeat through uh, tactics of conquering or whether the wise man was able to appease the king, we don't know. Because again, the the story of the wise man is forgotten other than the results of it. So there's no details known of what would have happened. But regardless, we see the wisdom overthrows that of a great king. We also see there in falling that... Wisdom is better than might. Wisdom is better than might, there in verse 16. Even though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, this wisdom is better than might. The same thing along the, that opposition. It's the trust in the strength, the trust in might over the mind. Strength is not what delivers. The might is not what delivers, it is the wisdom. Proverbs 24, 5 says, A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. The true strength of one is that wisdom. It overcomes the strength of the mighty. It takes over. We should learn this from the story of Samson. Samson, who had all the strength in the world, And yet, what happened when he allowed folly to creep in? When he began to to not pay attention to what Delilah was doing and she cut his hair, Samson, Samson was now bound and put between two pillars. By God's grace, he gave him strength to destroy the enemy, but he lost his own life. Strength matters not. If wisdom is lacking, wisdom is better than strength. But then we see there in verse 17 uh, that wisdom is in quiet is better than the shouting of fools. It says, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better even in the moments of quiet than the shouting of a ruler in the midst of fools. Oftentimes when we think of who to listen to, who to pay attention to, it's the one who has the loudest voice. And yet it's the loudest that often is the one that leads to folly. You think of any time that people are in disputes, who's typically the one being heard? The louder one, because they're the one with the loudest voice. They're the ones causing the most fuss. But it's the wise one who speaks quietly and gently that is better. The loud one wants simply to be heard. We, we see this. Follow me in, in Proverbs 9.13. It says, The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. Folly is what is loud, not wisdom. Folly is loud. It wants to be heard. It wants its own opinion. Proverbs 18.2 goes on to add, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The fool wants his opinion furthered and advanced. They don't care about wisdom. The words of the wise, though, are often in quiet in peaceful moments. Proverbs 15.31 goes on to say, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell on, among the wise life giving reproof will dwell among the wise so brothers and sisters let me ask us who has our ears who has our ears who are we listening to this question came through a podcast called fierce marriage uh, I, I was able to listen to it a lot when i was driving around the suburbs and and surveying all these light poles I would listen to it, and in about every two or three episodes, uh, the host, Ryan and Selena, husband and wife, would ask each other, who's had your ear this week? Who, in other words, who have you been listening to? Who's had that influence on you? Brothers and sisters, who has our ears? The loud and the folly, or the quiet and the wise? They will influence us. We need to see that wisdom, even in quiet, is better than the one shouting trying to be heard let us hold to that wisdom seeing that it is far better but we have another one wisdom is better than weapons of war we see that there in verse 18 wisdom is better than weapons of war again the great king had all the weapons with him and in these siege works and in besieging the city he had the city surrounded He had all the guns, the arrows, all of it in order to come against this little city. And yet, what overcomes? The poor wise man overcomes it all. Proverbs 24, 6 goes on to say, For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in the abundance of counselors there is victory. No matter how great the opposition Wisdom has the advantage because you can strategize around it. If we need no other example than that of the U.S. militia in the Revolutionary War, it was not great armies that defeated uh, Britain. We stood no chance toe-to-toe to the Brits. It was the militia forming and flanking and trapping the great tools of the Brit- British did not matter in the end. More wisdom was used in the flanking and the small troops. All the weapons of war do not matter. They do not give one final authority and power. They will fail. And yet wisdom, wisdom overcomes. Wisdom is better The story of the wise, poor man was a great example for Solomon. It pointed him to seeing and trying to understand the value of wisdom. How, yes, he can't grab it all. He can't understand it all. But he needs to pursue wisdom because it is far better. And this story, this example pointed him to that reality. Brothers and sisters, though, do you know we have one wiser than that? One wiser than that poor wise man who delivered this little city. One who was made the wisdom of God, who came to rescue us from our sins. The one who became poor so that we could be made rich, as we've already seen this morning in our call to worship. Christ himself became the wisdom of God. It is not by accident. Chase read from uh, 1 Corinthians 1 this morning in, in verses 26 through 31 because it shows us here God has taken what is folly in the world, folly by our standards, in order to save us, to rescue us, to deliver us from the impossible escape of sin and death. There should be no way we escape from sin and death. There is no way looking at it from where we sit apart from God overturning the wisdom of this world. And he does so through his beloved son, Jesus, who came and suffered The Son of God left the Father's side to come to earth, taking on human flesh to suffer and die like us. What? Wait, what? (laughs) The Son of God comes to take on suffering in order to deliver us from sin and death. This is the extent that God has gone to rescue us. In his divine wisdom, he has made a way by his grace to save sinners such as us. So we want to look and and see something of of overturning and possibility? It's what Christ did on the cross. He made a way so that the most wretched of sinners could come to him. Brothers and sisters, some of us in our our testimonies could attest the sinfulness of our own souls and lives prior to Christ interceding. And he still is extending this to, to the most broken sinner out there. God is extending this grace, saying, come, believe in my son. See that his death is the way to eternal life. If you will believe and rest in that, God used a poor carpenter's son to redeem us. A man who is both fully man and fully God. To save us and deliver us in the midst of it all. This is the example of the wise man we need. So if we're ever to learn how to live wisely, we must first see. Jesus, We must first see our need to continually set our eyes on him. Because it is this Jesus who both is salvation and is true wisdom. It is Jesus who we need to put our eyes on today so that we may learn how to live wisely. So now, shifting to point number two, how do we actually live wisely? Out practically this wisdom. The this second point is going to be much more practical in the sense of, of how do we do this. Now we, we see our need for Jesus. We, we see and understand he is the true wisdom of God, but now what? How do we live this out in our Christian lives? Well, let's begin looking here at verse 4 of chapter 10. It says, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. The wise respond to poor rulers with calmness. There's going to be poor and unwise rulers in our world and in our day. There's going to be those that stand against us, friends who become foe, With anger and hate. But the wise respond not in returning anger with anger or hate with hate. The wise respond with calmness, with quietness, even in the midst of opposition. Don't believe me? Think of how Christ responded to those who were humiliating him. And nailed him to the cross. Think of Stephen as he was being stoned. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Echoing the words of Jesus on the cross. The wise respond with calmness to that of oppression and opposition and poor and cruel leaders. So, brothers and sisters, let us respond to whatever we face with calmness. Maybe for some in here this morning, maybe there's strife or tension between you and another church member. I want to encourage you as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper here at the end of our service this morning, deal with that now. Go to that brother or sister when we sing our last song, or even now, and acknowledge that wrong. Set right that relationship. Pursue that. Show calmness to one another. Because it is this calmness we see there at the end of the verse for, for calmness will gr- lay great offenses to rest. What heals that calmness, that love, that compassion for one another? So the wise respond to poor leaders and oppression and wrongdoing with calmness. That's one way. The second way we can live wisely is that of the wise are diligent in paying attention. Look with me there at chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. It says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. These are all daily tasks that different people will do for jobs. The one who digs the pit will fall. The the one who quarries stones uh, will be hurt by him. The one who splits logs will be endangered by them. And the serpent biting uh, him who breaks through a wall unknowing what's there. The wise pay attention to detail. Now, wisdom does not mean that there will never be injury on jobs or or different things like that, but but wisdom overall helps one pay attention to what's going on around them. You think of, of most accidents on the job, what is the case for why those happen negligence not following policies and guidelines of safety being careless or or letting something distract you think uh, of how many people going uh, as i've attempted to, to try and trim trees in my own yard this week one one of the things i always am mindful for as i climb a ladder is what is the base is it stable is it safe But how many of us just put up a ladder and go up and not thinking a thing about it, thinking, oh, you know, I've done this a million times, I'll be fine. But it's that one time of not paying attention that you fall and injure yourself. Negligence to these things causes harm. So the wise pay attention and observe the things. They're diligent in paying close attention to the little details. As Christians, how... Much detail are we paying to one another's lives and how to speak into them, to care for them. We need to pay attention in wisdom of how to care for one another by paying attention to the little details, the little signs of how we can come alongside each other. That's one way of practically even within our church. But another way of the wise is that they're not lazy. Look with me at verses 10 and then we'll drop to 18. Verse 10, it says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. And then in verse 18, it goes on to say, Through, the, through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Here it's describing the one who is a fool. He, he first has a project at hand. The, it, the, my mind's going, like the iron is blunt there but instead of taking the time to sharpen it, to to make it effective for the job, he's lazy, tries to cut corners, and makes it instead harder for himself. The the old saying fits here, work smarter, not harder. Trying to cut corners is is though a sign of folly and the lazy, and as, as corners are cut often the job is made harder where if he would have just sharpened the edges he wouldn't have had to use as much strength in the end it would have been much better but folly doesn't pay attention to that but wisdom does wisdom examines those things tries to work wisely in it but also then in 18 it says those sloth through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house Leaks, folly, and slothfulness are the result of this. The foolish man does not care for his property, he is lazy, sits on his bum. The same can be said uh, uh, on women as well. The, the example is, though, wisdom doesn't sit by and neglect things. Wisdom calls one to work hard and wisely, doing the job with all their might in caring for the things of the house. But even another one here in verse 11 it says, If the serpent bites before its charm, there is no advantage to the charmer. Personally, if you ask me, if you're charming a snake, you're already a fool. But I hate snakes. I hate them more than Indiana Jones. I hate snakes. But the point of this is not whether or not to be a snake charmer. It's to do this poorly and in the wrong order. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, what good is the charmer? The charmer is to charm the snake first before it can ever dare to bite. The slothfulness waits. It does things lazily and out of order. The wise man pays attention to these things and works diligently and hardly. The wise can work hard and care for their families. The wise can work hard and provide for those needs. This is wisdom. Wisdom should call each of us whatever our job. Remember, last week i used the example of one of my daughter's favorite tv shows bluey saying we all have a job to do even the kids of creating uh games we all have jobs to do how diligently are we being in them are we working hard to do those jobs and do them well this is the task the lord has given us let us do it to his honor and glory because the lazy will find their house sinking in the lazy will find themselves with disaster coming the lazy will find themselves slothful as the proverb says and not even being able to bring their whole hand from the dish up to their mouth to feed it let us work hard For that is the sign of the wise. But I want to make a a church application point right here. One of the things, one of the jobs that is most often neglected within churches is the task of evangelism and discipleship. You want to look at a church that's struggling. Typically the signs of struggling churches, there's somewhere at some point a sloth and lack of, of discipleship and evangelism. Brothers and sisters, if we want to ensure we're doing the work God has called us to, it's fulfilling the Great Commission and pouring out all of our energy and toil in making disciples through both sharing the gospel and then leading them to deeper waters in what it means to follow Christ. And by evangelism, I do not mean saying that we're praying for someone, inviting them to do something with us. These are good things. Don't, don't mishear me here. But it is not sharing the gospel. Evangelism is the intentional sharing of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We can't say we're doing evangelism if we are not intentionally sharing the gospel with others. If we neglect this work, we are being slothful in the task the Lord has given us in the church to make disciples. In the same way, if we're not investing and helping others by pointing them to Jesus, we are being slothful in the work that God has called us. These are both necessities for us to be faithful in the work that God has called us to do. Let us not ignore them. Let us be faithful for the wise church. The wise church members will be faithful in working hard in both evangelism and discipleship. That is our mission. That is our call. Let's be faithful in it. Next, the wise Win favor with wise words. Look with me there at verse 12 of chapter 10. Says the words of the of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Repeat that the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Wise words win favor. As we speak truthfully, but gently and caringly and compassionately with others. These words are used to build people up. The words of a fool are used to tear down, to destroy. The words of the wise aim to build up the people, not tear down. Let us use words of wisdom and wise words to both speak to one another and then also to take in. Let us focus on these things so that we are a people who are building up one another. The wise also there in verse 17, the wise feast at the proper time and in the proper way. Verse 17 says, Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. The wise know when to feast. But it's not as, verse 16, when the princes feast in the morning. To feast in the morning. Breakfast is a crucial meal. It's a good and important meal. But you don't go and feast in the morning before the work begins. Why? You're going to be slothful in the field all day. You're going to be slothful in the task at hand. You're not going to be able to think straight because you've overfilled your bellies. The call is to feast in the appropriate time, not the improper Not to to feast in drunkenness, but to feast in a right manner. The fool feasts before its time. The fool is more concerned about feasting than caring for his house, than getting things ready in the field. The fool does all of these things. But the wise work hard. They're diligent to set everything up, to make sure the fields are ready for harvest. They, they work hard and diligently in, in getting all things ready. And then, as a reward of that labor, they feast. In times of celebration, they feast. At the right time, they feast. We're to enjoy life by all means, as, as we'll look at a little deeper in a moment. But at the right time we feast, the wise care for the details rather than always looking for celebration and festivity. The wise are diligent to take care of the other things and feast when it's time, not in an improper time. Proverbs 24, 27 even adds to this, says, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Again, this isn't a perfect example, but the same truth applies. So instead of us feasting, let us prepare our work, get the fields ready, get the house ready, and then feast in celebration of it being done versus trying to care for the house and then, uh-oh, what are we going to eat? How are we going to survive? Feast in the proper time. And that brings us in into verse 19. Look down at uh, Ecclesiastes 10:19. It says, "Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything." I'm going to pause right here and confess. I struggled with this verse all week long. What in the world does it mean? I think I have an understanding. I'm not sure if I fully grasp it at all. But here's what I do get and what I think it's, it's communicating to us here. Bread and wine are good to take in and to enjoy from the labor of one's work. They're good and right to enjoy. It is good for the wise to enjoy life and the fruit of their labor. Bread and wine come through that labor. One is made for laughter. One is, makes glad of life both are to be enjoyed but this little phrase and money answers everything we already know money cannot satisfy we know this from ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 money cannot satisfy and yet again from a worker's wages and their hard work they can provide for themselves that money that those wages will be the means of how they provide to take of that bread, to take of that wine, to fill that house, and to live. Their needs will be met by those wages, that money answers those things as they work hard for it, but it can never be what satisfies. It will fail them if that's what they're looking for. But the money answers everything because it's the means of providing for those needs. And that comes through the wise man's hard work and diligence. Brothers and sisters, there are means of ways for us to provide for families, us to work hard in that. It may not be the easiest. I've been there. I put myself through seminary and with pennies barely in the bank account to be able to survive off of it. Uh, uh, At least one time I had to borrow five bucks from a roommate to make sure I didn't overdraft. But there was means of provision through hard work. It wasn't easy. But those provide for our needs. Now, one thing this doesn't mean is that money is going to answer everything of our, our wants and our dreams and our desires. Too often in the American culture, we have this idea of standard of living and think that it, it's we need to do what everyone else is doing in order to, to have success. Our means of living may be different than Joe over there, and that's okay. Our needs, though, that's what we work hard to and what that wages meet. The wages meet those needs. That's what it's saying, and money answers everything that a hard man's work leads to wages that provides for these means of enjoying life even in the midst of the hardship of it to enjoy life to enjoy the life of one's labor that's what solomon's getting at through all of this and all this wisdom this is how we live wisely in this world we work hard and we enjoy the things god has given us through that It's not the slothful that are going to come into them, but those that work hard, those that live wisely. So brothers and sisters, are we going to seek this kind of wisdom, a wisdom of God in how to live, both in our jobs, within our families, and within the church? Help us to put these to practice in all aspects of our life. Each of these can, we could look at a hundred application and these are going to apply very similarly in each stage of life. But we need to seek the wisdom of God. We're going to fall short of these. We're going to struggle in the midst of living wisely. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. But one more thing for the wise. The wise bewares folly. Look back with me at 10 verse 1. You thought I skipped it, didn't you? Ecclesiastes 10 verse 1. It says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And there at the end of verse 18 from chapter 9 even, it says, But one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is better. But there's a real danger of folly. There is a real danger of folly at hand. And unless we pay close attention to it in our lives and in helping one another, that folly will enter in and destroy much good. That folly, even just a little bit, will outweigh all the wisdom, and all the good things. It begins to even... Even the example there of perfume ointment that's supposed to smell good and pleasant, but a dead fly in the midst causes it to stink, to fester. That's a foul smell. And yet that's what a little folly will do in our lives if we allow it to stay in. So we must beware of this little folly from creeping in. Foolishness w- causes us to wander aimlessly. Look at verse two there. It says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. E- then, then there in three, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Simply in walking on the road, the fool does not know where he's going. This is re-echoed back down in 1015. It says, the toil of a fool wearies him at him, for he does not know the way to the city. Foolishness causes people to wonder aimlessly. We must beware of this kind of folly. But then in, in verses 5 through 7, the last thing: a fool and authority we must beware of. As Typically, those who are in position of power or or wealth get there by wisdom, by working their way and earning it. But at times, there are those who are fools, who gain authority, who get into those high positions. And yet, we are called to respond rightly to them. We're to respond in calmness, but then even look down at verse 20 in chapter 10. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Even with a foolish ruler or authority... We are to respond in calmness and in carefulness to not speak ill of. Because while it seems so foreign that somebody uh, of a fool would sit on a horse and those of rich would be on the ground walking, as we see there in 5 through 7, the falliness overturns it. But it's not to overturn us and how we live wisely in the midst of it. We're to respond rightly the way God has instructed us to do. This is how we live wisely as we follow Christ. Even as we struggle to walk in this kind of wisdom, the wisest thing we can do is to keep our eyes on Jesus, knowing that even if we stumble in it, to keep our eyes on him and rise again and follow him until the day he calls us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. Father, I pray, Lord, even now as we come to the end of our service and the taking of the Lord's Supper, Lord, that you would help us to set our hearts right with you. God, we pray and ask that you will continue to remind us of the covenant we have with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have not already received a cup,